0: Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer, aka Sirgan Carr. I'm speaking with my friend and fellow musician. He's an amazing percussionist, Daniel Higuera, also known as Jai Jot Singh. He played for my album Minus Eight. And I believe how I met him was that my former husband actually heard him playing with a cheat at Solstice and was like, You should really check this guy out. So he was coming through Phoenix, where I was living, and he, um, you know, played all the percussion parts, uh, except for one track, I think on minus eight. Uh, this conversation is totally fascinating. I knew about Jai Jot's, you know, sort of brush with death a few years ago. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I didn't know the story behind it or what he was kind of going through up until now, until we spoke in this podcast. And it is totally an amazing conversation. I'm, I'm, I think this is one of my favorites um just listening to him talk about how he contended with this diagnosis just the sheer you know total surprise if you can imagine just living the healthiest lifestyle you can imagine and then being told that you have this thing that you know quote unquote unhealthy people get not yogis um it's it's really amazing and it he, he even mentions this in the conversation, but it really brings this theme, you know, back to everybody, myself, and everybody who's going to listen to this, of, you know, how aware am I really of myself? You know, if I can have something this monumental going on inside my body and not be aware of it, what else am I missing? And I think that we all go through this, you know, we all have blind spots in what we are aware of in our own self. So this was a totally fascinating thing. But just listening to him talk about how he, you know, went through the process of thinking that he could cure this, quote unquote, naturally um, to deciding that really that wasn't going to work out and that he needed to go into this other world that he wasn't really as comfortable with, which was the Western medical field Um, which finally, you know, he did and went through a lot of surgery and a lot of recovery. You're going to love this. I am, I'm a very squeamish person. I was not put off by any of this, so I don't think anyone else will be. Um, Enjoy it. This is a treat. I don't
1: know if anyone's going to judge me because my room is so messy, but...
0: (laughs) That's you know people's perception of mess is so interesting because I would not have guessed that you would think that your room was a mess. I'm seeing like I, I actually
1: I actually <laughs> I saw that you you did a a, a video uh, thing on Zoom and I was like oh I should tidy it up a little bit. <laughs>
0: Is it like the horizontal spaces that bother you or like does stuff pile up on the floor? Like what what's your definition of mess?
1: I, I, I think it's just there's so much going on on the shelf.
0: <laughs> I see, I see. Yeah, but yeah. see, I don't know what's normal for you. So, I mean, that could be like a really awesome altar you have going on there with all these little bottles.
1: Yeah, the supplement altar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, I don't judge. Whatever you <laughs> worship is... <laughs>
2: The gods of science.
0: <laughs> 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 so it's been it's been what like it was two thousand eighteen I think or two thousand seventeen we last saw you. Yeah, twenty seventeen. So it was like yeah. three years since I since I saw you. I imagine quite a bit has happened in your life. Some of it I've heard about. Yeah. more epic, the more epic things. But yeah, um, but yeah, I feel like there's a lot to catch up on. So what do you feel like talking about
1: what do i feel like talking about well, i guess the things you're referring to was the brain surgery yeah that happened um it was uh about 39 hours of procedures Which
0: yeah completely gone for say it again Like you were, you were knocked out for that amount of time or did you like come back and then go back? I was
1: knocked out for at least 35 hours of it. Yeah. Yeah. So no evidence of disease. So I'm pretty much in the clear right now. So I'm happy about that. Wow. Yeah. What
0: is it like? to one, have like a diagnosis given to you like that. And then two, I mean, I suppose this is like a minor part, but where my brain goes is like, what's it like to lose 39 hours? I mean, to, you know, wake up and it's 35 hours later, 39 hours later.
1: Well, it, it, was, it was broken up into about four different procedures. Um, the first one was six hours of them blocking blood vessels that was feeding the tumor in my head. And the second one was 14 hours of resecting about only half of it. Then the third one was an attempt to do the same thing, to embolize more of the blood vessels. And then the fourth one was, uh, going into my skull and getting out the rest of the tumor. Yeah. Um, what was the first question again?
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> well, just to be given that kind of, de- like, to find that out, was it, a, was it a complete surprise? Were there signs of it that you were aware of? and you, this was It like was a complete surprise
1: for me. It, it, 100% a complete surprise. I still remember the day. It was, uh, I believe it was November 2nd, uh, 2017. So just a couple months after we recorded yeah. uh, negative eight, and then when to say and then we well i got to the doctor's office and he was kind of like super closed off he just didn't know how to go about saying it and so he just went straight for it <laughs> because it, it That wasn't his specialty. He wasn't really expecting to find something that serious. And What did you go
0: in for? Like, why did...
1: I was having problems breathing from my left nostril.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, well, that's quite a jump.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But occasionally, I would be able to breathe through it. So I was like, okay, like, I don't know, like, just a buildup of mucus, like...
0: septum something
1: yeah yeah who knows like and i had i have been following like these health protocols for years you know whatever it is veganism or alkaline diets yoga meditation the last thing i was expecting was a a tumor the size of five golf balls in my head five it was huge so it it took up the entire left sinus oh it was it was starting to expand my my face. Um, (laughs) It's locally aggressive, so it, it eroded the bone underneath the eye, went around the eye, and then eroded the bone underneath the brain, and then went into the cranial cavity and connected to the the main artery in the brain, the ICA. And then he showed me the, the picture of, of what they found in the CT scan. And I freaked out. I, I, like, I jumped in my chair. I was like this, like I was spazzing out. I like shaking and, and Someone then- you you? No. Cause nobody was expecting this. L- everyone was like, I- usually I'm, unless I'm hanging out with other yogis and stuff, I'm usually the healthiest person in my sphere.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, um, so they told me that he connected me with, uh, an ear, nose and throat oncologist here at the university of Miami. And then and then that, that whole other adventure begins. It was like 60 hours of calling different hospitals and doctors the first week and trying to figure out what my next course of action was.
0: How much time between then and when you opted for the surgery?
1: About three months.
0: Oh, that's a lot of anxiety, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, I, it was the first week. All of my meditation practices helped me to really center myself. And so, and I had the support of family and friends and my ex-girlfriend at the time. And it was, um, I felt cared for. I felt like, okay, no matter what happens, I'm probably not going to die. So that's okay.
2: Uh It wasn't
1: malignant. So that was good. Um, But it it had, the doctors weren't sure if they were going to be able to save my eye. Right. And they weren't sure if they would be able to get it all out. And they weren't sure if it would, uh, you know, kind of create some sort of permanent damage in in the brain or something like that.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. But wasn't, the the prognosis was never fatal, just maybe catastrophic. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Maybe catastrophic. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And at the time So you're you go in, you have no concept that there's anything going on like remotely related to what you're about to see. And so somebody basically shows you like here, this is your body, and you're look I mean there must be some sort of like disconnect between, but that's not how I feel. Or I didn't think I felt that way. <laughs> and here I am looking at this thing.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely made me it definitely made me rethink how much I really knew myself, because I, I I think in especially in the sorts of in the world we travel in, there's a lot of this idea of bringing the attention inward and embodiment and somatic awareness and you know you, you think you're fine. <laughs> it's a really slow growing tumor. So I think that's part of the reason why there wasn't ever at any point like, okay, there's something absolutely 100% wrong with me right now. I was having a little bit of paresthesia on my left cheek, which is this sort of tingling sensation. And that was it. I didn't notice anything else.
0: Right such a yeah. great, that's such a great parallel for like other things that go on in people's lives though, that something could creep in that slowly that you could not even, you would get used to it as it grew, right?
2: Yeah. That's crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: So you, so like you said, the first week was really hard and then you had another few weeks before you actually got surgery and there was some sort of conclusion. So how did you... What did you do in that time period?
1: So what, there was two things. One, I was really committed to not going under the knife if possible. So I had a consultation with this holistic doctor. I forget her first name, Dr. Jensen. She's consulted Tony Robbins and some other people. And she prescribed this alkaline diet, um, kind of with the hopes of at least reducing the tumor size.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And I, I did that strictly for three months. And I also, along with that, did a Rick Simpson oil treatment. And so it's pretty much like a very concentrated THC. Um, cannabinoid oil and people have found a lot of success with it with other cancerous tumors Uh so I decided okay well that would definitely be better than what what they were offering me the first couple of doctors I saw it was it was Borderline unacceptable what they were offering. Um, the first doctor wanted to deglove my face and to. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> the incision would be straight down the midline.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah.
2: Oh my God. Wow.
1: Yeah. And then the second doctor had a better. Approach, but it, it, it was just incomplete. They would leave a piece of the tumor next to my eye,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, they would still have to like enter through the cheek and re- like basically remove a piece of the bone and then put it back in. And just none of it felt right. Plus, a full craniotomy, and it was just like, I'm not not into it. Not into yeah. it. it. Scared the living daylights out of me and it was like okay well that's the best option i have right now and they're saying that i could go a couple more months without doing the surgery and the worst of it was the worst of it was already there Mm -hmm. all that could happen was that the surgery would take longer
2: okay
1: and i was like okay well i'm gonna try this i guess
0: that that was somewhat reassuring right i mean
1: Yeah, it can't get any worse. (laughs) Because it it was already connected to to the internal carotid artery, which is this artery that runs down the midline of the brain at the bottom. And for the longest time, surgeons weren't able to access that region. It's only in the last 10, 20 years that they've been able to successfully go in there. So if somebody had a tumor there it would just stay there basically. Wow. Um, so I, the other thing was that the insurance I had, the medical insurance that I had at that time wouldn't allow me to go see this more preferable doctor at the university of Miami. Oh, wow! First doctor I saw was at a local hospital.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, but it wasn't a, an academic Institute. They, they really didn't have the specialty training for a case that complex. Right. So I switched to this better insurance that enacted at the beginning of 2018. And then I was still doing the protocol and still doing some research, calling different hospitals. I eventually found one team in Pittsburgh that had the best option and that's, who i went for for the second surgery the first surgery i did here at university of miami ended up finding a better ent oncologist and they were able to remove half of it just through my nostrils wow yeah great news (laughs) (laughs) and then and then i found out there was still half of it left and my insurance was running up
0: Was that a surprise Um, after that surgery again? Like, did they expect to be able to take all of it out? And then they said, Oh,
1: the the wording he gave me was confusing. Okay. He said that we got about 95% of it out. And he wasn't clear that it was in the sinus that he said that.
2: Oh in
1: reference to the sinus. So we were like, oh great, we don't have anything to worry about after this. I followed up with the neurosurgeon. He showed me the scan. I was like, okay, great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then then at that time, my ex-girlfriend, her sister, her brother had passed away three weeks before my first surgery and then a week after the second surgery her sister-in-law her brother's wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer so it was just this huge bombardment of facing death death mortality yeah yeah yeah
0: so you you got part of it removed in Miami, and then so were you forced to do more research than to find this other person in Pittsburgh?
1: I had already known that i I already knew about the doctors. I had spoke to them, spoken to them already.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What ended up happening, why I didn't go to them for the first surgery was I I ended up in the ER. I ended up in the ER uh, about the first week of February that year and it was because I had a migraine Hmm. and it was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. It was 10 out of 10 within a matter of minutes like my my eyesight was just gray metallic looking and I couldn't walk. My sense of balance totally disrupted. And I went to the ER. I was like, sure, something had popped, <laughs> something had broken. I was like, oh, wow. And that was, that was the first moment. I, I, it really dawned on me, like, okay, you, you could die from this. You need to get this done uh-huh. as soon as possible. And
0: so, at that point, was that sort of the turning point? With with like, okay, I'm not going to go the diet route. Like the yeah
1: the the holistic treatments didn't work. The tumor grew, and I opted for surgery with a, a man named Dr. Sargi here in Miami. Best guy ever love him. He's, he's a character,
2: <laughs>
1: super entertaining and great bedside manners and great human. Um, so yeah, I, he visited me in the ER. He said, Hey, we could attempt this just through your nostrils and, and see where it goes from there.
2: Wow. Yeah
0: funny you you mentioned that about him being such a great person my my mom went through breast cancer a few years ago and she met the most amazing community of people through it it was like she met her tribe (laughs) she'd been looking for friends for years in that place I'm sure I know that's not the case with you but it's amazing how these experiences can I don't know we can we can meet people maybe that we wouldn't have otherwise and
1: yeah, I, I I connected with with a lot of people that left a, a deep impression on my life through that experience. It's it's definitely a, a bonding moment in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah.
0: So you you went to Pittsburgh the afterwards and that was the that was the completion of the surgeries?
1: Yeah, so I I visited the neurosurgeon in Miami. He said, "Hey, you still have this going on, this rather large nugget of tumor huh.
2: uh
1: pushing up against your brain and you're going to have to get it taken out. It's going to keep growing." Uh-huh. And I was like, "Okay." And I the reason I went up to Pittsburgh was because the neurosurgeon in Miami still wanted to do a, a full craniotomy. So like for the people who don't know what a craniotomy is, it's basically they drill a, a, a piece of your skull off and access your, brain, your brain. Yeah. And he still would have had to leave a piece of the tumor next to the eye. And he was expecting a bunch of other negative side effects like brain bleeding. And um, he was also expecting to have to permanently close off one of the arteries to the brain. So like my left jugular basically. And then I Contacted the guys in Pittsburgh, and they said, well, we can go through your eye, and you don't have any of those other issues, and we'll also be able to take the whole thing out. And so I opted for that.
0: And your eyesight is? is My eyesight is pretty
1: good. As far as actual function, Uh so when I say go through the eye, it's this procedure called a lateral orbitotomy, so they saw the bone off the side of the eye and then they go in through that hole that they make and then they attach it obviously and um as far as the function say (laughs) it again
0: amazingly well with your descriptions here i'm not usually good i'm not usually good with medical descriptions but i i feel um i feel very interested in what you're talking about so i'm I'm glad. I hope it doesn't gross
1: some people out. I, I no, know it's really intense for some people to hear.
0: No, I think that the way that you deliver it is really making a difference for me. So c- continue. I just wanted to, <laughs> to mention that.
1: Thank you. Um, so, they, so they went they,
0: through that hole.
1: Yeah, so they, they make an incision here and then they saw that piece of the bone out. They retract the eye, they just move it off to the side. Slightly while it's still inside the cavity, and then they start resecting and they make their way up into the brain and start resecting from there and they're also having to to access um, the different parts of the the brain, so they actually <laughs> they they did this this uh thing where they went through the nose and kept digging through the nose and kept going and going until they reached the bottom of the brain from there. And they resected, they resected the tumor from the artery that it was connected to. And then they were able to start taking it out from the hole that they made. And, and yeah, and people look at me today and they can't even guess that that happened. it's like this really small ever disappearing scar next to the side of my eye. And it's like, great.
0: Well, and that probably has to do with how well you care for your body to the the healing process.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I have some double vision post-surgery when I look off to the sides. Um, I have to flush my nose out every day because my sinus doesn't work as well. And that's pretty much the extent of the issues afterwards.
0: So can you breathe through both nostrils?
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Man, what an adventure. That is, what does it feel like? I mean, because I know like many of us can, you know, imagine what it might feel like to break our wrist or like, you know, shatter our knee or something because like those are sensations I feel like. But like, what does it feel like after, I imagine you're on a ton of drugs, but do, you, like what does it feel like after your, your brain is gone into like that?
1: It was different both times. Uh, the first time since they removed the piece of the tumor that was pushing up against like the eustachian tube, that's a tube that connects from the ear into the sinus. It really affected my balance a lot. So the first two weeks after the first surgery, I would be walking and out of nowhere, my body would just swivel 30, 90 degrees and I had no control over it. And it was, it was interesting, just completely involuntary. Just, I'd be walking and
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you realize it was happening or was somebody like, Hey, Daniel, you're, you're very good.
1: I, I realized it cause I, I would be seeing myself see, doing yeah. it. Okay. Um, yeah. And then the second time around was way more intense. The, the drugs they had me on after the second surgery were extremely powerful. They had me on this anti-seizure medication called Keppra. Uh And it was causing me to slip into these dreamlike states. Hmm. Like as soon as I closed my eyes, I would go immediately into a dream. It was- It was
0: kind of like a hallucination a little bit or?
1: it's really hard to, it, it wasn't a hallucination because hallucination is like you have your eyes open and you're seeing these characters and this setting play out before you. I would close my eyes and go straight into a dream. I slept 16 to 20 hours a day for about a week after the second surgery. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. That makes
1: sense. <laughs> yeah and, and like, I'd be having a conversation with someone and then like, it'd be like, Oh, I'm tired. I really need to, to stop talking right now, and I'd close my eyes and go right into a dream.
0: Was it a, um, a waking dream? What do they call that? Like, were you aware that you were dreaming? As you were- oh, dreaming? lucid dreaming. Lucid, yeah.
1: One of them, I, I distinctly remember being pretty lucid. It's like I, I closed my eyes and I stepped into this park in Canada, and actually Butchin was in the dream. <laughs> Hey, Bacchan. <laughs> <laughs> Bacchan was in the dream and there was a hotel and I went into the hotel and that was kind of the end of the dream, or at least what I remember of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, that, that happened quite a bit. One, one time I, I closed my eyes and I felt my aura spinning around me faster than I've ever felt anything spin around me
2: <laughs>
1: I closed my eyes I felt like I was in a like it was almost as if if I was the center of a washing machine and the drum was just circling around me
0: oh wow did you have nausea because of these sort of like imbalance issues or
1: the first yeah. one I had a lot of nausea yeah they had me on nausea medication for about a month yeah
0: So moving out of this experience, what, like, where, where are you now? Or like, what was the transition into what you're doing now?
1: Well, life went somewhat back to normal after that. Kept teaching yoga after maybe six months after that. Started teaching yoga again. Started doing events. Took a couple gigs here and there. And... As, as far as the, the day-to-day things, that's, my life went more or less back to normal.
2: Yeah.
1: I, I feel extremely grateful that I had family supporting me, and uh, friends, loved ones. It was something that really shook me at my core in a lot of different ways, just the it made me confront my own sort of uh, na- naivete. In a sense, just the the way that I approached it was that was not the time for a holistic treatment. It was really uh, trust. The the trust I, I I've had in in the holistic or spiritual world was definitely shaken a lot. I felt a little betrayed in that sense. You have a lot of people spouting anecdotal evidence for, for things that they've never encountered, never seen, Never dealt with, yeah. and they they speak it with with the conviction of someone who's actually healed other people from from whatever thing they're trying to sell you. And so that was good. It, it the whole process got me grounded in a way that I've never been in my life. Mm-hmm and it also let me know that i was extremely loved i started a a gofundme to help pay for all the medical bills and i was just floored that people cared about me (laughs) um and it let me know that i want to live i think up to that point I had taken a lot of pieces of my life for granted and it's, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me in that sense just made things really clear for me wow. in, in a good way
0: That's, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I, um, I bow to you. I have never had to, uh, make the kinds of choices that you have had to make and like, like, wow. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm amazed. I mean, I was amazed from afar because I was reading your posts, but to hear, to hear you talk about the whole process, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And how beautiful that it, it reaffirmed your, you know, your uh love of life and i and it's i mean it sounds like you didn't it's not like you're saying that you don't want to do anything spiritual or holistic ever again because obviously you went back to teaching yoga and you're still you know doing all these things but but like knowing where the where that where the place that that has and then where you know more um standard medical practices, what, what place they have to.
1: Yeah. But I I think in a more like a, in a sort of Eagle's eye view, it, what I realized was that my philosophy of life was incomplete. Mm. That in the face of these emergencies, the, the, the simple one-liners don't work anymore the the prescribed prayers don't work anymore and the prescribed mantras don't work anymore the the idea that things can be taken care of if if you just have blind faith in something it just doesn't work anymore Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and it, it forced me to have a critical eye on what I was thinking, what I was feeling, what I was doing. And also what was going on around me since my, my then girlfriend had a, her own set of tragedies to deal with and how we deal with tragedy. And it was this ripple effect of how do we, how do we approach life in, in, in ever increasing complexity?
2: yeah
1: yeah so yeah it's it's not a I still meditate every day, I still pray every day. I'm I'm sure I have my own set of unscientific beliefs and <laughs> as we all do, and um, that that's perfectly fine. I, I think it's for me, the process has been more of a a truth-seeking process, not like, a let's burn the whole thing down process. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think a lot of people are confronting that right now in so many ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's pretty intense out there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, when, when you're talking about, uh, the, the, the different approaches that even the medical community had towards treating you—you you know, to, to like uh, removing the the tumor—like it seems like there was so much. Um, I mean, it was almost it was almost like a, like I don't know artistic license with you know with how we're going to do this. That wasn't like it wasn't even straightforward from a medical perspective, right?
1: Yeah, especially not in the, in the subspecialties that was dealing with my tumor. It's very, I even asked the surgeons about this. I was like, why isn't there like a standard set of practice for this?
2: Right.
1: I'm getting four different approaches for something. And, um, part of it's because it's, it was such a rare disease like one out of every 250,000 head and neck tumor diagnosis is that like one of the diagnoses. Wow, wow.
2: Um,
1: and, and yeah, with something like breast cancer, there's a, a millions upon millions of people get it. So right. they've been able to see what works best over time and what generally is the best medicine to prescribe for a certain type of cancer and things like that. And with this, it was just, we've only dealt with it so many times.
2: Right. (laughs)
1: Um, And the other surgeon I asked, (laughs) he said, there's many ways to skin a cat. (laughs) And I was like, all right.
2: I'm down. (laughs) Uh.
1: That was, that was uh, Dr. Gardner up in Pittsburgh.
2: Hmm.
1: He said that, I found that really funny. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, I guess, you know, when I was a child, I sort of assumed that things were a lot more straightforward than I now understand they are as an adult. I mean, just, you think about, like, I never would have occurred to me that there would be so many different ways to offer this procedure, or so many procedures that they could offer for this particular diagnosis. But then also, like how dependent you would be on the mood of the of the doctor, like what had happened to him, you know, what had happened to him or her, in, on that day, or um, you know, the the things that they that they're aware of, you know, that you are, like say when you play percussion. You know you're going to be so much more aware of and you were actually when we recorded like oh i didn't like that you know that part that i did and i was like well i didn't even hear it but i trust you let's you know let's record it again um yeah. that there's there's so much more to things than than we realize from the outside and then when you're involved in it you you realize how how complex it is
1: yeah, yeah there's a lot of nuance a, a, the doctors are also specializing in in certain techniques so they only offer what they know how to do right yeah that's that one, that's another another thing that i realized afterwards i mean i i thought that the fact that that first man even offered me that procedure was barbaric
0: right <laughs> that should
1: not even be on the table <laughs>
2: Oh my gosh
1: yeah wow so how's the music going for you during the pandemic times
0: um it's good i'm i'm a, i'd always been more of a recording artist anyway so i am kind of missing playing live but i missed um or i moved from phoenix so i'm in washington now and i don't have a band here anyway so i guess what's shifted for me is that i didn't really have the opportunity to meet anyone before everything shut down right but you know i i will
2: yeah yeah been
0: been recording been working on new songs i'm i'm delving into some english language stuff i'm being inspired to write songs again which is fun Yeah. yeah how about you
1: oh Well, I've mostly worked live, and so that completely cut that out. And then any of the events that I had going on are completely done for now. So it's been tough. It's been tough.
0: Is Miami... Miami is is leaning towards cautious, right? Because I know a lot of the states are sort of playing it differently.
1: (laughs) Well, they've been... They've been rather reckless. Okay. And so now, I don't know what the numbers are today, but yesterday was 15,000 reported cases in Florida, okay. almost 4,000 of them in Miami. So it's, it's pretty intense here right now. Things are probably going to go back into shutdown within a week.
0: Okay. So if you were shut down, and then it reopened, and now?
1: It's it, to- it, that it's like, like stage three it. reopening, that doesn't really mean much. It's right. like at least for artists. Right you know, it's like still like a, a cap of 50 people at gatherings and right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not,
0: yeah. The, the yoga, the only thing I know about that for Washington is the yoga studio that I joined right before everything closed down, um, can have five people per class right now. So probably has to do with the room size, but yeah, that's, that's not much of a concert
2: <laughs>
0: to do it there. <laughs> An intimate song circle.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At that point, it's so small that it would probably feel a little awkward.
0: <laughs> Especially if, like, you had a five-piece band.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and then you were like, "Well, that's it. That's all we can do. <laughs> we'll live stream it." <laughs>
1: just a concert for yourselves
0: (laughs) I mean I would go for that at this point I think that would be at least fun to uh, to gather with Feather Feather, fellow musicians again but it'll happen yeah you were traveling I think when when you came through Phoenix from yeah yeah and so had you been had you been touring a lot in the in the interim, or were you mostly playing in Miami?
1: Mostly playing in Miami. I did a, a short stint with Dry Jagdish in at the end of 2018.
2: Uh
1: huh. Um, played at Sat Nam Fest once or twice. Another festival or two, I can't really remember. There's enough gigs in Miami when it's open that I'll be busy a couple nights a week. Wow,
2: yeah, that's cool.
1: I'm not the biggest fan of touring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Me neither.
1: <laughs> it's so intense, and and at least the times I've toured, it, it seems like it just seems to bring out everyone's like, fight-or-flight mode more than usual. Uh-huh it's it's uh it's it's interesting because you're kind of like if you're a band leader and and i've seen this in other tours too and, and you're calling people up and and you've never had a group that's spent two three four let alone six months on the road together
0: Oh, okay, right. Yeah, like a new And van. then
1: all of a sudden you're forced into a van
0: <laughs>
1: for 10 hours at a time.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It's... I don't know. It's interesting.
0: Yeah, it sounds like my marriage.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, that, that's an intense process for sure. I th- I was talking with Ajit um, a few weeks ago and she just loves touring. I feel like I feel like she I think she has like a very dis very similar group that she that all know each other and they all know their role and you know yeah. that sort of thing. It's like a roving family, I think, as opposed to like a hodgepodge of excellent musicians, you know, that I mean not yeah. that her musicians aren't excellent, but you know what I mean? Like they aren't I don't think they're selected just because of their musicality and then like I hope we all get along sort of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. She's she's not vetting for like the <laughs> elite top musicians yeah. that she can find. She's really looking for the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have a, a great thing going on. Always admire seeing them play.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's necessary. For sanity, maybe not for concert. I mean, I know like the Eagles, for example, just can't stand each other, right? Isn't that the, the story? <laughs> and they, like, they get together and they play awesome music and then they're like, <laughs> only for That's another million nice. dollars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard that story so many times in different four different bands. I've heard of bands hiring a band psychologist just to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real thing. It's that if you, if you're playing the same exact songs for thirty years, yeah, and you're just a, a a jukebox for tens of millions of people.
0: Well, that's the thing too. yeah. we We don't have that so much unlike the conscious music scene, I feel like where people are like, oh my God, I'm only gonna come if you play your you know your number one hit and otherwise like I don't care about the rest of your catalog sort of thing. I feel like that's not, because, you know, nobody has, like, number one charting hits, maybe. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I I feel like the audiences that that fellow chant artists get, or conscious musicians or whatever, they're a little bit more forgiving, because I've always felt like they come with the intention of having a great experience. Like, they're not there to sort of go, well, let's see how well they, you know. That's true, that's
1: true. And they're also more empathetic and sensitive
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and they can tell if if usually they can tell if the people are really centered in the vibration the artist is trying to
2: mm-hmm. project yeah
1: yeah
0: yeah that'll make more of a difference I think in the the takeaway that they get from it It's like that was really good. Means like they were really tapped in, you
1: know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not like oh my god, that drummer just like shredded. <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah. So when you play out, are you playing for a lot of different kinds of music, like with within the, the music scene of Miami, or?
1: I would say half of it's kind of in the yoga, conscious dance. Mm-hmm. Sort of world and the other half of it is in the entertainment
2: uh-huh.
1: industry just here's a party there's a dj go go right. go make their nights you know <laughs> that's
2: <laughs> cool
1: and yeah I, I would say it's really fun to see people living living it up and getting totally hammered and <laughs> And it's funny because I'm I'm sober, and I'll go to these parties and I'm playing, and sometimes they'll they'll offer me a drink, and uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you, but you know, yeah, maybe you should give your date that drink. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, it, yeah, it's it's interesting being sober among people who are drinking I've always found that to be an interesting experience but but less so if like I'm I don't know if I'm not going at it from sort of a judgmental like angle and and I do sometimes drink so I don't want to put it like I you know
1: yeah I, I drink like one <laughs> to three times a year that's like <laughs> and it's great but I say sober more in the sense like okay like of the time yeah I'll be sober Uh (laughs) just despite where I'm at um yeah
0: yeah 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 so Daniel thank you so much for for sharing your your epic journey um and uh your What has happened since is there anything else that you want to report before we
1: oh my gosh there's so much i'm curious about you
0: oh my gosh go ahead
1: (laughs) go (laughs) ahead well when i saw you change your name on facebook i just had the most admiration for you
2: oh thank you
1: and um I, i was wondering what what sort of caused that that shift out of the, the Sikh Dharma, and- yeah.
0: uh, You know, for the past, I think it's been like three years, I'd been, I'd, I'd had this question, cause I'd been listening to Abraham. You're familiar with, with Abraham? Abraham Hicks. Yeah, I think I may have talked to you about that one when, when we were recording, but um, my question was like, okay, I, like I, underst- I, I sort of get what they're saying, and then I'm, I'm involved in this community where I'm having to do so many things that are based on rules, and um, I'm making so many choices based on what somebody else is basically telling me what to do, that I've never, you know, even met, and like the the dissonance between those two things, because on the one hand they were saying like, you know. love is is acceptance. love is you know acting on your inspiration. I was like, well, I can't act on this one because I want to do something that I'm not supposed to do. you know it's so like i'm mm. I'm constantly censoring myself. Um, so I had this kind of question going on, and um I kind of reached like what I felt to be rock bottom in my sense of limitation, like in just how limited I felt by the choices that I made. And it was causing me to be really depressed. And it was so silly, but at the time it had to do with, I really wanted to eat fish. And, and I was like, no, you can't, you're not allowed to, you vowed, you vowed not to. And, and I really felt like it, like it was plaguing my mental health. And so I was, I kept asking myself, I was like, is it really worth, you know, saying no to this so many times that I'm like kind of going, I'm kind of going crazy inside myself. Like it was almost like trying to like block a dam or something, like something wanted to come out. And I don't think it had anything to do with eating fish. I don't think that was like the magical cure-all, but it was just like doing something that I wasn't supposed to do and realizing that it wasn't such a big deal. Yeah, And, um, so I did, and I was like, "Wow, this is awesome!" And I didn't do it very often, but I was like, "Anyway, it it was it was this." It led me to to meeting this this guy Gary, Bodley, who was also a channel. He channels this group of beings called Joshua, and I ended up joining um, his boot camp that he does, and I ended up coaching for his boot camp. And through this, I've just had such a shift in perspective of what's right for me, you know, like what I can really feel solid about the choices that I can really feel solid in and how not serious everything needs to be, you know, <laughs> like, like you don't, I'm sort of coming back around and going like, okay, like having a discipline is a really nice thing, but I had to also go through this, like, you know what, I'm just gonna, anything I feel like doing I'm just going to, to do. I kind of went through that process for, um, I don't know, about a year. But anyway, it ended up leading me away from my marriage. And um, I found myself in a new relationship here in Washington and could get to my name. I'm getting there. I had wanted to to go back to my original name because I was feeling like using this spiritual name that I did connect with at one point was just less and less authentic like it was like this mask that i wore and and i noticed how it had really not allowed me to connect with people like throughout the years um and anyway so i i just was like i really want to change my name back but it feels so scary (laughs) Because I have this whole, like, like I couldn't wrap my head around it. So then when, like, the Yogi Bhajan shit dropped, <laughs> I I was like, all right, this is the moment, <laughs> you know. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: like, I really, I there's really nothing that I need to hold on to about, about that name or, you know, anything. And then my question of, like, how can, you know, how can this be true and also this be true was, like, well, this wasn't true. So this is true. You know, you, um, you can, you know, you can follow your inspiration and you can, um, live authentically and also make choices that were different than you thought you needed to make previously. So very long winded answer to your question, but that's kind of how I yeah, found myself right. here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I recently cut my hair about two weeks ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. So now it's
0: I was wondering what, like because you you look different and I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on it.
1: It's the haircut, it's, it's the, haircut. the shave. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, it looks good.
1: Thanks yeah. I, I've I'm,
0: seen like a bunch of people cut their hair and post pictures on Facebook recently and I'm like wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm 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 happy for everyone. It it's I think especially with the the idea of the bana and the hair, it's like, a it's really an anchor into, if you feel the the organization is corrupt, like I do at least,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it really feels like an anchor into something that does not really serve your being.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I had all these other fears like, oh, but the hair, it's like the antenna for your intuition and all this Uh stuff and buddhist monks are bald (laughs) 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 they're probably some of the most intuitive people on the planet sure i'm happy
0: was that was really empowering for me it's like i kept making these choices and i was like no i can still meditate nope i still feel spiritual
2: you know
1: right yeah yeah Yeah. and I, i started eating meat again about two years ago and the the sort of dissonance that the the rigidity creates. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's like, oh, I'm a yogi. I can't eat meat. I can't not meditate for one day. I can't do this. And then just like, why can't I just be a human being who does certain things that really make sense to me? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But yeah, when I when I saw you change your name, I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Really happy. And and you looked happy and 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 all of the life decisions you were making just seemed so empowering. And obviously they are. And so yeah, yeah. just saying I'm happy for you. Oh thank
0: <laughs> you. Yeah, I'm happy for you too. I like your haircut. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I feel too, like if you chose to grow your hair at some other point in your life for your own reasons, then it wouldn't feel like the same as growing your hair for the reason that you were before, like that I was before, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I grew my hair out twice before I grew it out for the sake of Kundalini Yoga. Just kind of had this like rocker rebellious phase. (laughs) in high school and in middle school. And um, I would grow it out for like three years and shave it all off and do it all over again. And, <laughs> but yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's funny thinking about how how much shame could be attached to cutting your hair. Like that's really difficult for my partner to understand. <laughs> He's he's never been part of, you know, any sort of organization like that. He's like, the haircut, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Bonkers. You just don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Well, how can people keep in touch with you, or find out what you're doing musically, like that?
1: Well, there's a website in the works, but for right now, social media.
0: Okay. I shall link your Facebook? Yeah, link IG? my Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, cool. Thanks for spending the time with me today. Yeah, super thank fun you to catch for up.
1: Me. Yeah. It's a treat.
0: <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well, let me know if you need anything in the future. Yeah.
1: Definitely, likewise. Yeah. I'm actually setting up a studio here now.
0: Ooh. Are you yeah. recording your music, other people's music, both?
1: both both cool yeah
0: cool sure yeah maybe we can collaborate
1: that'd be super fun
0: yeah all right sweet okay well have a great rest of your evening here in evening. Our... Yeah. yeah okay <laughs> all right
1: bye. Care, Porter. Bye. bye thank
0: you so much for listening if you enjoyed this please leave a review and rate the podcast wherever
2: you're listening that helps others find it